Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Renya Pruchnicki, owner of Truth Belts in Canada. After graduating from her studies in fashion design at Ryerson University in Toronto, Renya worked for various companies designing ski wear, backpacks and soft-sided coolers, gaining an extensive knowledge of human-made technical materials. She started Truth Belts in 2001 from her apartment in downtown Toronto with a desire to create a life she loved while doing something positive for the planet. Having no experience with leather as a material, her belts could be called accidentally vegan, or as she likes to call them, genuine non-leather. As her business progressed, she connected with the vegan and animal rights communities and shifted her lifestyle accordingly. Her newest belt styles are made from recycled car tyres. In this interview, Renya discusses how being laid off from your job can sometimes be a blessing in disguise for budding entrepreneurs, why it's okay and not a failure to go back to a regular part-time or even full-time job while running your business in order to make it sustainable over the long term, why manufacturing products locally, even though it's more expensive, can be the smart move, the use of competitions to build an email list, and much more. Here's the interview with Renya Prechnicki of Truth Belts. Hello, Renya. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> so you run um, a really fantastic um, cruelty-free vegan belt company. Tell us about your reasons. How did you get into doing this and what's your why for doing this? Um, that's a great question. I started Truth Belts back in 2001. And at that time, I was uh, laid off for from the company that I had been working for. So um, I had graduated seven years prior from a university here in Toronto, Ryerson University, where I studied fashion design and production. So I had worked for seven years in the industry as a product designer of um, ski wear and snowboard wear and a lot of really technical um, type of designing. So when I was laid off, I thought, you know what, this is the perfect opportunity for me to start my own business because that was something that had always interested me. So I was standing in unemployment feeling like, oh, my God, my life is over when I <laughs> found out about this um, opportunity to start a business through unemployment. So you, ha- you had to apply for this business course and they would help you start a business. And I thought, you know what, why don't I just try this? It's something I've always wanted to do. So I applied with my idea of belts. And the reason that I picked belts was because back in 2001, Belts were the hottest fashion accessory of the year, and all of the magazines were talking about it. And I thought, well, you know, even though I would love to design clothing, I think I'm going to stick with um, accessories because that's something that's, you know, small, it's not too expensive, and I could just make them myself in my apartment in Toronto. So that's what I did. And the reason that I didn't use any leather was simply because I had never used leather in my experience as a designer. So um, (laughs) it wasn't because I was a vegan or a vegetarian. It was just because I didn't know how to use leather. And I thought, well, 
you know, there's a lot of leather belts out there. Why don't I just do something that's unique and different? And that was the beginning of truth. Wow, that's such an inspiring story. I really like that. It's almost like like you took advantage of, you know, a situation where, you know, you were laid off, as you said, but you you actually, you know, took advantage of that. And I guess the universe also maybe played a bit of a hand in it um, to to kind of get you there. So I think that's actually uh, really inspiring. And I love the fact that your your belts were kind of accidentally vegan and why not indeed. So that's (laughs) That's <laughs> fantastic. Now, I don't know whether you find this, but a lot of the time with vegan products, because they're ethical and because, you know, small business owners aren't able to get the discounts available in bulk purchases of raw materials, sometimes the end product ends up being a bit more expensive. So I'm yeah. wondering, do you experience that within the belt industry? With, and, and if so, how do you deal with that challenge to stay competitive? Oh, you know what? That really is one of the most difficult parts because um, whenever I buy materials, I always have to buy a minimum order quantity. Um, And, you know, as somebody starting out and, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, um, I just, you know, I did what I had to do. So I I guess what I did was I really just used my credit cards. Um, I, I just, you know, kind of went for it. And luckily, you know, my products did start selling right away. So I can remember in the first few months of the business after I had designed my collection, I took um, some of my samples to some stores here in Toronto and um, luckily they ordered from me. So I was able to have money coming into the business and 100% of my profits had to be reinvested all the time to pay for all this, all these raw materials. So, you know, it's true, whatever you have... um, uh, like, you know, vegan products or especially products that are made in Canada, you know, you have to have um, prices that are higher just because the labor is more expensive. And, um, you know, I have to buy minimum order quantities of sometimes 800 buckles. So you can imagine it really wow. does make the price shoot up. But I think the biggest reason is um, Canadian labor. Right, right. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, have you ever thought of like manufacture or having the manufacturer outside or, or do you manufacture them yourselves? Like how how do they kind of get put together? Oh, you know what? Um, I do not want to manufacture them outside of Canada. I really want to keep it here. So, I mean, um, I do manufacture a lot of the things myself, but I do also have um, some home sewers and just the other factories that help me with certain aspects here. Um, but the majority is done here, and I do that because I just want to make sure that the products um, are decent quality. Um, I've heard just too many horror stories, and I've seen other product proje- or projects that are manufactured overseas, and just the quality is not there. Or, you know, I've heard some horror stories of, you know, I know this one. Um, I spoke to this one leather belt manufacturer way back in the beginning when I was trying to figure this all out, and he had told me that he had brought in some leather belts from. China and that they were horrible quality and they just put cardboard in the center and then all they said was oh we won't do that next time but poor fellow was stuck with you know thousands of belts so I don't know I just like to know what's going on (laughs) sure and I guess you can use it as a selling point you know the whole locally made thing because that can be important for consumers to know that they're buying something from their local area um, as well Mm-hmm, great. So what were some of your, we've talked about that was one of the, the challenges. What were some of your other challenges when you first started up Truth Belts? 
Um, definitely money was the number one challenge. Um, and also, you know, just trying to figure out how to run a company because I didn't study business or anything in school. Um, I mean, I, I did some, you know, accounting courses and some Excel courses, but, you know, I don't have an MBA or anything. So just really trying to make it all work was really challenging. So what I found was even though I started doing it full time, my income from the business was not nearly enough for me to be able to continue running it full-time. So what I did was I ended up getting um, a full-time job and I ran Truth, you know, on the side, evenings and weekends. And then eventually over the years, I worked less hours. So I was working, um, you know, three days a week. Um, well, I guess at first I started four days a week and then three days a week. And I actually did that for the first 11 years of my business. And that was um, what I had to do in order to make it work. And also, there's the fear of going out on your own and thinking, oh, my goodness, can I make it? Because let's face it, you know, vegans and vegetarians, they are a smaller percentage um, in the world compared to carnivores. So I'm not able to sell my product to every person. Right, right. Now, I really love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's really important for people listening, you know, particularly people who are starting out or in the early stages of their business to know that, you know, it's not all necessarily easy and it's not a failure for you to like, you know, like you said, you know, instead of just giving it all up, you you went back, you got a job, you did something realistic to make sure you had income coming in, you still kept the business going on the side. And then as you went on, you were able to um, eventually make it your full time business. So I think that's really great that, that people know that because sometimes I think business owners think okay great I've got to quit my job and launch straight into it and if it doesn't work or I have to go and get a part-time job or a full-time job somehow sure. they failed and that's really not necessarily the case so I love your story I really appreciate you you sharing that I um, think. <laughs> so how the as you've grown then over the the years and you've become well known and you've it, you know you, you're doing this now full-time how have those challenges changed what are your kind of current challenges um, you know what, there's always a challenge every year. As the company grows, there's always new obstacles that come up and that's part of the joy of being an entrepreneur is, you know, how do you get around those those challenges? So, well, let me think here. So what am I going through this year? Um, I'm going through a lot of growth right now and um, what I am working on in 2016 is delegation. So what that means is um, just you know, hiring the right people to run just different aspects of the business, which is really scary for an entrepreneur because for so many years I did everything myself. And uh, let's face it, you cannot grow a business if you do everything yourself. <laughs> so it gets to that point that you just have to um, find the right people and let your baby go. And <laughs> so um, what I'm doing is I'm doing more um, trade shows across Canada right now. Um, and when I say trade shows, I mean shows where people can actually um, buy my belts. So here in Toronto, we have shows such as the One of a Kind show, or I just actually came back last night from a show in Edmonton, Alberta. So, um, you know, this is really great for me because I get to um, show my products to a new market. Um, I've never been in Edmonton before for a trade show, so there's a lot of, you know, vegans and vegetarians there who came to the show, really love my products. Um, and it's, for me, it's trying to figure out how am I going to do as many shows as possible and, like, how am I going to be able to do, do two shows at once? So, for example, in the fall time, I have myself booked for shows to happen in Ontario, while at the same time, I have three shows booked for, or four shows booked out in Alberta and Saskatchewan. So I'm just trying to figure out how in the world am I going to do this? How am I going to pay for this? Am I going to have to take a loan? 
So that's what I'm working on right now. <laughs> that's great. Well, it's, it's great to hear that you're you're growing, and I, I totally get what you're saying about that. You know, letting your baby go. I think pretty much everyone I've interviewed, particularly those that have started out as solopreneurs, they've all said that it's about you know letting go of that control. Um, but yes. when you do, it really does allow your your business to grow. So, because I was going to ask you about that in terms of you know staff, whether you actually em- employ anybody or if you um, you know use kind of some kind of expert help to help you grow your business? Oh, absolutely. Um, so a few years ago, um, I hired um, somebody. He's like an expert in internet marketing to just sit down with me. And I remember at the time, um, you know, he normally charges $2,000 for a session, but this guy was having a sale. Wow. And if you booked with him for um, a period of 24 hours, or within a period of this 24-hour sale that he was having, he could um, he was offering $500. And I thought, oh my goodness, $500 to talk to somebody? That is insane. But I decided to try it, and it was the first time that I've done that. But I have to say it really was um, a wonderful thing to do because for me, you know, he really, um, like he's obviously very successful, and he told me some things um, that I should be doing that I wasn't doing, such as, you know, stop shipping your own orders. You should get a fulfillment center, and the owner of the company should not be um, shipping out orders at all. So that was one thing that he said to me in that first meeting that really changed everything for me. So a few months later, I started, um, you know, just investigating fulfillment centers here in Ontario, and I found one. Um, and I have one of my employees who handles all of my sales. So, you know, that was really huge. Um, and I, every ever since then, I realized the importance and the value of working with experts. So I work with other experts as well, such as Melanie Duncan in the States, Amy Porterfield in the States, who is an expert in Facebook marketing. And um, I think that um, those people are... Um, you know, just, you know, their their information and guidance and insight is just, it's so valuable. So um, even though the prices are kind of high, it's totally worth it. And another woman I want to mention too is Kate Barrett in um, the UK who helps me with my, um, with my emails. <laughs> you know, when people oh, join okay. your email list and then, you know, yes. you get emails from us. So yeah, so um, that definitely has helped me to grow my business. For sure, for sure. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Just out of interest, I know you've mentioned, um, uh, you know, vegans and vegetarians. Are they your majority clients, Renya? Or, you know, do you, I mean, I, you might not know the exact numbers, but anecdotally, would you say the majority of your clients are from the vegan vegetarian community or outside or a mix of both? Uh, I would definitely say a mix of both. Um, my top-selling belt actually is this belt that is really flat. It has a really flat buckle, and um, it's stretchy, and it's adjustable. And you know how when you're wearing a shirt that you don't tuck in, and then sometimes there's like a corner panel of your pants that kind of pokes out? Yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> I think every woman knows about that problem. <laughs> <laughs> so this belt actually is really flat and it really helps to keep that bulge in. Um, so that is a product of that it doesn't necessarily have to be worn by a vegan or vegetarian. It's worn by men and women, mostly women. And um, so that actually is my top selling belt and it, I'm not specifically targeting vegans or vegetarians. So to answer your question, um, I do um, sell to, it's a mixture of both. Um, I mean, I might, I don't know the exact number, but I would say um, the majority are probably vegans and vegetarians because, you know, obviously that's how I market my company. But then this other flat belt is has been amazing and I really can target anybody for that. 
That's great. I think I might check that out myself, actually. I like the sound of that. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'll send you one. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's actually, it's interesting now because you started back, as you say, in 2001. Now, of course, um, you know, there's more, I guess, competition. There's more, um, you know, producers yes. of vegan accessories. So how do you go about standing out both within and outside of the vegan business arena and maintaining customers, regular flow of customers? You know, that is a great question. Um, I can remember in the beginning when I started, um, it, it was really easy for me to sell my products because there really wasn't anybody else in North America doing what I was doing. Um, but I have noticed that over the years, there have been, you know, um, a lot of other companies popping up and doing vegan belts, which, you know, definitely um, has, um, you know, given me some competition. So what I do is um, I just, I try, you know, not to worry about it. I mean, obviously I do, you know, I, I, I do keep my eye on it. I, I um, have seen, seen some of my competitors' samples and um, I guess I just have to stay true to my, um, the true nature of my business and the true joy of what I do um, and not really, you know, worry about what other people are doing. I know that truth belts are more expensive than um, other vegan belts out there. Um, and at, there was a time when I was worried, like, oh, my goodness, what can I do, you know, to make it cheaper? But I, I really can't make my products less expensive. Um, I'm talking about the ones that look like leather. Um, there's yeah. just really nothing that I can do. You know, the material is what it is. The cost of the buckles is what it is. The, the labor is what it is. So I, I just kind of straight to, stay true to, you know, what I do. And I'm just simply honest about, you know, well, these are the prices. It's made out of recycled car tires it's made out of a really great polyurethane um that um you know is um you know approved uh, by certain standards in the industry so um i think that i just kind of rely on my marketing and just uh, follow my passion and then just keep going and I think as well, it's good that you touched on, like, that you explain to people, you tell the stories behind your products. And I think that's really important because when people know that, okay, I'm buying a really, really good quality product, you know, it's made out of this, it's made out of sustainable materials, it's cruelty free, it's this, then they are prepared to pay um, that bit more because they know it's going to last longer. So I think it's really good that you're obviously sharing the stories behind your products. Um, so in terms of... Um, competition or collaboration you know a lot of the 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 kind of marketing spiel now is to not think about competitors but embrace them as collaborators and maybe even do joint ventures with them what are your thoughts on that and have you done any kind of such partnerships um, I have actually, and um, it's something that I have, um, you know, thought about doing more and more. Um, there is a company in the United States called Vegan Cuts. Have you ever heard of them? Yes, I have. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so they are a wonderful company, and um, we actually are doing a partnership uh, program right now where they are going to be releasing their, like, a, a men's vegan kit uh, for um, the spring and summer for this year. And so, essentially, you can, you know, purchase this kit. It has a lot of, you know, wonderful vegan products in it, and and one of the uh, products will be a postcard from Truth Belts where with this particular code, you will be able to get $40 off your purchase um, when you shop at truthbelts.com. So, um, I mean, I do things like that. Um, I get approached, you know, quite often by, um, you know, companies or events where they say, would you be willing to, you know, donate a product? Um, and I always do things like that. Another idea that I had was... Um, 
I wanted to design a belt for the company Mercy for Animals, and I wanted it to be, um, I mean, it, it hasn't happened yet, and I'm not sure if it will happen, but I wanted it to maybe be called the Mercy Belt or something to do with their company, and um, I was hoping that I could get into a partnership um, with them, but at this time, they are not really set up to do um, something like that with a product, so um, they said, you know, if you want to do something like that, you know, you can certainly go ahead and, um, you know, have a belt called the Mercy Belt, um, but they wouldn't be able to advertise it to their members at this time. So, um, I mean, I think it's a wonderful idea, and I actually approached PETA as well, and um, they, um, I don't know, I guess they're not uh, quite set up to do something in that respect. Like, I was hoping that they could advertise that specific belt to their customers, and then I would give them a percentage of sales. Um, but, um, I still just might do that with Mercy for Animals and, um, even though they're not able to advertise it to their members, I, I would still donate a portion of my sales to them because I think that what they're doing is really wonderful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, Nathan, the uncle's actually coming over to Sydney later this month. He's, um, the keynote speaker at, uh, Sydney Vegan oh. Expo. So that's, that's oh, pretty that's cool. Wonderful. <laughs> Excellent. So we've talked a little bit about some marketing strategies and you've talked about, um, uh, going to expos. So doing that offline marketing, which is really important, you know, doing that face to face stuff. Um, what other current marketing strategies do you use and which do you find most effective? Um, well, the, the biggest one that I use is um, Facebook ads where I can target um, certain customers in any part of the world and I can be very specific going down to, you know, like a province, a city, a state, or even like a postal code or a zip code, which is really wonderful. Um, you can also target people um, by um, their interests. So I do do a lot of Facebook marketing, but I also do things on Pinterest and Instagram Um it's so complicated these days. My goodness. <laughs> it's I know. a very different way of doing true. business compared to when I first started. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah. The other way that I do marketing is when I go to these trade shows that I was telling you about, I always have some sort of contest in my booth. So, for example, um, if you fill out a ballot and if you would like to join our email list, then you would be entered into a contest where two people at the end of the show um, uh, I will choose two ballots and two people will essentially win a $50 gift certificate. So, you know, I think that everybody loves to win a free product of some sort. So um, a lot of people fill out the ballot and then um, they join my email list. So then I'll send them the first email and I'll give them some sort of discount code or a free shipping code. And um, I mean, that's a really wonderful way to do business because not only are people happy with, you know, getting either a discount or free shipping, but I'm really happy because then I have more people on my email list and then that way when I do my biggest sale of the year, which is um, the Black Friday sale at the end of November, um, Black Friday weekend, um, then, you know, they're on my list and they can get the biggest discount ever because that's always my biggest sale of the year. Fantastic. That's a really, really good strategy. And that's very generous of you to share that. That's such a good idea because like you say, you know, you instead of just having someone come up to your your booth or your stall, you know, one time and then going away, you're you're capturing the details so that you can develop an ongoing relationship with them. So that, yeah, that's fantastic. Sure. That's, a, then, that's a really great tip. <laughs> And then another thing that I do is, um, you know, we always have some sort of postcard that we um, hand out at the show. Or if somebody purchases something at my show, you know, they get a postcard that I put in their bag. And um, I'll also have a code on there saying, you know, if you want free shipping, use this code. And there's going to be an expiry date, so make sure you use it by that date. So things like that are really helpful. That's very smart. Very smart indeed. That's wonderful. Now, in terms of media coverage, have you had any kind of media coverage um, in regards to Truth Belts? 
I have. Um, over the years, I definitely have had um, quite a bit of media coverage. I haven't had anything too recently, but um, I've definitely been in you know a lot of the big newspapers here in Ontario, the Globe and Mail, and um, the Toronto Star, and I've been in various magazines um, over the years. Um, cool. I think that's some, an area that I could probably um, do better in. Um, I don't spend a lot of time, to be honest with you, on um, press releases, etc., so maybe that'll be a new goal for me this year. <laughs> <laughs> so when you got that media coverage venue, was that did you hire a PR firm or did you approach the media? Did they kind of come to you because they'd heard about you because you were out there? Um, you know, a little, a little bit of both. Um, I had a few surprises uh, back in the early days where I would just find out that, oh my goodness, I have no idea why I'm in the Global Mail or why I'm in this newspaper article. But um, sometimes it just fell into my lap. And other times I did send a press release to um, newspapers or magazines um, in order to get a, a review. Cool. Great. That's great. And you've seen benefit from being in, in the media? What kind of benefit? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I can remember this one time I was on the front page of the business section of the Toronto Star. And, uh, you know, definitely I, I get a bunch of emails and phone calls after that happened. So I definitely think that if you can get yourself into, you know, a magazine or you know, written up in any way. I mean, it's always good, in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. Just on the <laughs> use of the word, <laughs> but on the use of the word vegan. So obviously, it's very prominent on your website and in your marketing. Um, and you know, there's been, and obviously, you've been going since 2001. And at the moment, you know, vegan is kind of trendy. You know, we're actually kind of yeah. cool and we're in. But obviously, back in the day, we weren't necessarily. So tell us a little bit about your choice of, you know, using the the word vegan. Because even though you produce, you know, your your products are, are non leather you didn't have to use the word vegan you could still market to you know as just you know regular belts that, that just don't happen to have um leather in them um so why mm -hmm. did you choose to to actually you know kind of go go pretty full-on with vegan. with the, the vegan yeah um well you know what in the beginning like i said i wasn't really even thinking about like vegan or vegetarianism um so what happened was um, my boyfriend at the time um, had a best friend, um, this guy named Brad, and him and his girlfriend were vegan, and they were the first people that I had met that were actually, you know, like hardcore vegans. And, um, you know, when I just got talking to them, and it was at that time that I just um, started reading books about it, and I started watching some of the documentaries that I realized, you know what, um, my belts are actually vegan. So um, <laughs> I was like, I thought, well, it kind of makes sense for me to market it as vegan. And I remember I was um, trying to purchase some domains, and, uh, you know, a lot of the really good, um, I think vegan.com was already taken vegetarianbelts.com was available and I know that there's vegetarianshoes.com um, in the UK and they yeah. have that um, wonderful company and that great URL. So I purchased vegetarianbelts.com and I actually used that for the first, um, well, I actually still own the domain, but I actually use that as my main website um, to be able to sell belts online. Um, so I just felt like um, as I was learning that people who were vegetarian and vegan were really liking my products, it just seemed sensible for me to start marketing it as vegan. Got it. Now, why did you move the site from vegetarian belts and call call it Truth Belts? Well, I always had truthbelts.com, but you know what? Back then, back in 2001, um, online sale, selling was not what it is today. So um, I was really worried that... Um, the stores that were carrying my belts would be upset with me if they knew that I was also 
basically a retailer and selling directly to the public. So what I decided to do was to have two websites. So if you went to truthbelts.com back in 2001 onward, um, you would see all my products there, but you would not be able to purchase them. Um, and then I just made vegeta- vegetarianbelts.com the website that you could actually do the online sales. And um, I, yeah, I was just really doing that to um, protect um, my retailers who were carrying my products. Of course, everything oh, okay. is so different now because everybody who, you know, makes products, they are also selling them online, so it's not a big deal. So what yeah. I decided to do was um, I had to make a decision. Do I want to keep, you know, vegetarianbelts.com as my main store or truthbelts.com? And it just felt um, more sensible to me to use truthbelts.com because that's my brand. So we moved it over, and then we changed vegetarianbelts.com into a uh, a call to Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> um, <laughs> I... I wanted to mention to you that I, I had this dream a few years ago to get on the Ellen DeGeneres show. So I created this campaign, um, and I think I have maybe like half a dozen steps, things that I've done to catch her attention. So step one was that I wrote her a poem, and we posted that on vegetarianbelf.com. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't um, contacted me. I've tried everything that I could, and eventually I had to give up on that just because I was spending a lot of time and energy um, trying to get onto her show. So it's still there, though. All the steps, my campaign are there. So if you ever want to have a laugh, you can check it out. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But you know what? And I reckon you'll probably get on there. You know, sometimes when you, you try and kind of do something and you keep doing it, it doesn't happen. And then you kind of go, okay, you know, you don't put your energy to it. And sometimes it just kind of happens. So I reckon you'll, you'll get on there at some stage. <laughs> okay. Well, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> now, we touched on this a little bit in early question. For those people who are aspiring to own a vegan run business, but the moment they're, you know, they're working in a regular job what do you think are the key things they need to take into account before making that jump from employment to self-employed um, I recommend doing some sort of uh, business course and definitely having a business plan um, I think that too many people just jump into a business and you know they have no idea what to do um, because I think that there's a lot of things that are really important to know in a business like you know just like setting things up properly having um, like, know what you're doing. It's not just about, you know, selling a product. You have to have systems in place. You have to know a little bit about accounting or, um, you know, you have to know about, like, tax laws and things like that. So I think that it's important to take time to do a little bit of, like, studying, investigating, um, maybe read some books, maybe hire a mentor to uh, guide you. So that would be my, my first advice. Excellent. Yeah, it's really, really good advice, actually. It's something that people can quite easily do while they're employed, you know, in that kind of research stage. Especially with Google these days. I mean, you can research anything and just read things online. Exactly, exactly. So the final few questions then are around mindset. Um, many business owners say that running uh, a vegan business or running a business of any kind, actually, it's the fastest and most effective form of personal development because it really forces you out of your comfort zone and to, you know, do things that you or learn how to do things you wouldn't ordinarily do. What, in your opinion, Renya, are some of the key qualities that a person needs to possess to run a successful business, to be an entrepreneur? Well, um, I think that it takes a lot of uh, dedication. I think that if I think a lot of successful successful entrepreneurs are simply people who don't give up. Um, so, you know, an entrepreneur is somebody who will always find a way to make it happen. Um, so, I think I mentioned earlier in this interview that you know each year is different. Each year there's different obstacles to get through, and um, it takes a lot of you know perseverance and um, 
a lot of, you know, creative thinking to get through things. So I think you've got to have that um, plus, you know, passion for what you do. I think those are the two key ingredients. For sure, for sure. Now, obviously, one can spend a lot of time, particularly when you're starting up in your business and you're bootstrapping, you're working very hard, sometimes a lot longer hours than you would if you had um, a regular job. It's important sure. to take care of ourselves. So I'm curious, what, uh, are there any particular strategies or techniques or things that you do to ensure that you've got a strong mental and emotional well-being as a business owner? Sure, I think that that's really important um, because it's so easy just to get caught up and to get overstressed. And as we all know, stress is, you know, a killer. Um, so what I do, I, I always take time to, you know, exercise. And, you know, I'm really big into meditation. I meditate uh, twice a day in the morning and in the evening. And um, I think just taking time out to do things like even just, you know, going for a walk around the block or uh, I do swimming and I do yoga and fitness. Um, I, I try to force myself to just take breaks throughout the day to like do some of these things. Otherwise, you know, as an entrepreneur, you can just get so um, caught up in your business that you just work 24-7 and then you're like, oh my goodness, it's one in the morning. And I've gone through a variety of, you know, um, physical health issues, like, you know, being at the computer too much, having, you know, um, issues with my right arm, using the mouse too much. Um, I've had, you know, low back pain, which I still have a little bit of um, just from sitting at a computer for so long, especially in the days when I worked full time and then I had to come home and then, you know, work until, you know, I went to bed basically and then on weekends. I mean, that was, you know, pretty insane. So I would have to say that um, taking the time to care for your physical body and taking time out just for like, you know, mental stability, doing things such as going for a walk or meditating are extremely important. Yeah, you're so right. I can definitely relate to what you said. I mean, I spend a lot of time at the the computer and sometimes it is just tempting to just sit there and focus and, and not do those breaks. But if you don't, what I found is if you don't, like you say, force yourself to take them and do it from a preventative perspective, something will happen. And like you say, you'll get something happen to you that will force you to then take a load of time off that you might not necessarily want to so I think that it's really good reminder to everyone including me um, to yeah to to do some self-care what would you say have been the key lessons you've learned through running your business Renya um the key lessons well that's a great question let me think about this I mean so many lessons I've learned along the way um I guess you know at this point you know it's 2006 it's been 15 years um I don't really sit there and think about, oh, my God, how am I going to, like, you know, make a million dollars or how am I going to make all this money? Where a lot of people, they they run a business because they they want to make money. Um, for me, it's more about doing what I love. So I don't really sit there and think, how am I going to make this much money this week? I think, um, you know, how can my business run efficiently and how can I serve is it, more like my motto these days. And, you know, I watched the uh, documentaries about Steve Jobs and I learned about how the company Apple was run. And I have to say that I don't really want to run my company like the way Apple does because um, I feel like that it's important as a business owner that if you have an opportunity to have a company where you can give back and help out, I mean, let's face it, our planet is pretty screwed up. There's a lot of really weird things going on, um, a lot of issues going on. And I want to, I guess, um, be the type of company to, you know, give back. And so I made a decision to donate a percentage of my sales to a few different organizations. The first one being Embracing the World. And then the second one is an organization called 
parvati.org that I volunteer for. And uh, the second organization is um, they're keeping oil drilling out of um, the Arctic Ocean. And uh, uh-huh. they have a treaty that they um, came up with. It's called the MAPS Treaty, which stands for Marine Arctic Peace Sanctuary, where if uh, 99 con- leaders of the countries in the world sign this treaty, then we can actually declare the Arctic Ocean um, a peace sanctuary so there will be like no oil exploitation. So I think that I'm now learning that, you know, this is really just an extension. This business is really just an extension of my love and passion and my, um, uh, my desire to help in some way. Does that make sense? Wonderful. Oh, it does make sense. And it's absolutely wonderful. It's just, you know, I love hearing about mission driven businesses. Um, you know, it's, it's fantastic that kind of the, what you're doing. So, um, I was going to ask you, the final question was me, what's your long term vision for truth belts and yourself? And you, you've kind of covered that a little bit. I mean, is there anything else you want to share about any major, any new products or any new developments? Cause it's interesting. We, I, um, I do a vegan business roundup at the podcast and, um, recently I've reported on like these new alternative materials such as pine apple and the most recent one is um, cellulose fibers from kombucha so there seems to be all these kind of new developments in you know alternatives to leather so I don't know if there's anything uh, you know that you're involved in for for truth belts or any kind of new if you want to comment on that or any new new products that you've got or you know wherever if your brand is going to be expanding in some way um, sure. Well, um, a few things. Um, so what I want to do is I also sell on uh, the different Amazons in the world. So I want to continue expanding um, to sell on, well, all of them if, if possible, because I think Amazon is like such a great um, tool for selling products. Um, and I also want to have it in all the different countries, different languages. And then in terms of my products, oh, I have heard about the, the pineapple material. I haven't experimented with it yet, but I, I definitely am open to looking at other um, materials that I can use in place of polyurethane um, that are strong enough to make a belt out of. Um, I'm working on this one belt right now, which is, um, when it comes out, is going to be really amazing because it's going to be the only um, vegan belt like this out there. But um, essentially what it is, is when you make a vegan belt, a lot of times you have to glue three pieces of material together and then you have to stitch the edge. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, yeah. So this new way of making a belt that I've discovered is I can actually wrap the um like the top material all the way around. So there's going to be a seam at the back. So that means that the edges do not have to, that they don't, it doesn't require stitching essentially is what I'm saying. So uh-huh. you, you know how when you look at like a leather belt and there's no stitching lines, it looks really beautiful except for the fact that it's leather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it looks really cool because it doesn't have a stitching line. So I found a way to actually make a belt that it looks so beautiful. It doesn't have any stitching lines and it's still really great quality. Um, so okay. I'm going to be releasing that this fall. <clears throat> and oh, fantastic. I am working with um, a company here um, to make some um, handbags. Um, I'm not sure. Um, you know, we're just kind of experimenting right now, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be making the handbags or them, but I'm just, um, you know, wondering if I can put together some cool handbags. I also came up with my first wallet last year, and I want to expand my wallet line. So that's that's pretty much where I am right now in ways of expansion. Fantastic. That sounds like you've got a busy year coming up. That's awesome. I do. <laughs> That's well, been great. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing those insights, um, Renya. That's been really wonderful. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure, Katrina. So that was Renya Prachniki from Truth Belts. 
You can find out more at truthbelts.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Luxury British vegan shoe brand Bourgeois Bohème has expanded its range into the US. The company launched its American website in April, reports Fashion News. Now in its 11th year of trading, the brand has become renowned for its stylish footwear, which is created by artisans in Portugal using eco-friendly leather alternatives. Celebrities have taken a liking to Bourgeois Bohème, including Natalie Portman, Brian Adams and Tori DeVito. The latter posted a photo of herself on Instagram with several shoe styles, offering her followers a special code to buy. So it's great to see this independent business expand, and it's a good example of how celebrities can give your brand a touch of kudos and help you raise your profile. The New York Times ran a positive and extensive article on Aquafaba, the food innovation created by software engineer Goose Walt last year. Having recently gone vegan, Walt was charged with finding a solution to replace eggs in dishes such as meringues for a family event. Using the liquid from a can of chickpeas and adding sugar resulted in delicious, fluffy vegan meringues. Walt named the substance aquafaba, which means water and beans. Since then, interest in aquafaba has gone through the roof. A new Facebook group called Vegan Meringue Hits and Misses has more than 44,000 members and the first aquafaba cookbook is due out this year. Both vegan and non-vegan chefs are using aquafaba in a range of culinary creations, including pancakes and purees. Also, New York condiment firm Sir Kensington's is about to introduce the first commercial product using aquafaba, a vegan mayonnaise called Fabonaise. (laughs) Pretty fabulous news, eh? The city of Asheville in North Carolina in the US named May the 9th to the 15th Vegan Awareness Week, reports latest vegan news. Mayor Esther Mannheimer signed an official document outlining the benefits of a vegan lifestyle, including health and environmental aspects. The move follows similar ones by the cities of Eugene and Portland in Oregon and was initiated by the Asheville Vegan Society. It comprised a series of vegan-related events throughout the week, culminating in the Society's Veg Fest on the 15th of May. So this is important because it's a great way to get local media and to get local people to find out more about vegan living. And of course, it's a fantastic opportunity for vegan businesses to collaborate with non-profits and government to showcase their wares and attract new customers. So very much a winning scenario for all. One of the media tips I've written about and that I share with my clients is to create your own day or week or month. There's nothing stopping you and it's a great way to raise awareness of vegan living and your business. Purple Carrot, the whole food plant-based meal kit delivery service that New York Times columnist Mark Bittman joined six months ago, has announced that it's secured $5 million in debt financing from Windsale Capital, a Boston-based investment firm with an interest in energy innovation and sustainability. According to a media release from Purple Carrot, it plans to use the new funds to increase consumer awareness for the brand, as well as promoting the value of a plant-based diet for health and environmental reasons. 
Now, just this week, Bittman announced he'd left the company, although he remains a part owner. To make plant-based eating even more accessible, Purple Carrot will be working with a number of culinary experts in the coming months as it unveils a new Guest Chef series. The programme will feature notable chefs and influencers who will create customised plant-based recipes that will be incorporated in Purple Carrot's weekly menu offerings. So this is another example of the growing trend for investors keen to support plant-based foods. Last year, Purple Carrot raised $3.8 million in seed capital from investors including New Crop Capital, Stray Dog Capital, Mario Batali and others. Finally, a San Francisco startup, Gelson, has created a vegan gelatin, reports Food and Wine. The company puts together bacteria and yeast with the same genetic program that produces gelatin in animal tissue, then uses the strains to ferment vegan gelatin. CEO Alex Loristani said the company's goal is to introduce an environmentally friendly, cruelty-free alternative to animal-based gelatin, which is used prolifically in all kinds of products and industries all over the world. While other companies have made forms of microbe-produced gelatin for pharmaceutical applications, Loristani's point of difference is his commitment to reduce the cost down to a level that's competitive with animal-based gelatin and to make production viable for wide, multi-industry use. According to Food & Wine, scale is a serious challenge, but Loristani estimates that Gelsen will be widely available in the next five years. So the innovations happening right now are pretty phenomenal. Shifting our use of animals and replacing them with healthier and more sustainable plant-based alternatives is a major change and it's great to see it's finally starting to take off. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now.